What's up? What's up? What's up? Hey, we're back. We've missed you. Hello again. Back again. It's been a little bit. It's been a little bit. It, I think it actually feels like it feels like longer than it maybe was actually. Hey, but we're back. We're doing more things. We had so many complicated thoughts and we needed to share them with you. We have like two, arguably, arguably we probably have too many complicated thoughts. There's so many thoughts to share with you. I think we maybe have too many thoughts this time, but we're going to share them and we're going to make a really concerted effort. How are you doing, EJ? Oh, I'm good. It's hot. um, And I am tired all the time. Yeah, I'm doing good. I, I went to an emo night this weekend, which was very fun. That's thematically relevant. Yes, it was really good. They played MCR, just the hits, but like still. What good what good hits they have, you know? That sounds great. What are you, what are you up to? Um, it's hot here too, and I'm also tired all the time. Um yeah. <laughs> so, summer summer baby. Yeah, it's the summer mood. It's the it's just sticky boy summertime, you know? Every day, I'm, like, I'm, like, not too hot, but I'm so sticky all the time. I'm just sticking to stuff, and I don't like that. I love to be outside, and I sweat, and then I come inside, and someone has set the air conditioning to 62 degrees, and then all of my... I'm wet and cold at the same time. Yeah, we've been, you know, plugging along. I was visiting EJ in the place that they live Mm -hmm. for a moment, and... You can now, say EJ. the general place that I live. I don't <laughs> mind that. EJ lives in Texas, and I do not live in Texas. I, and so I was visiting EJ in Texas from very far away. In fact, from in Maine, which was wonderful and lovely and hot. And soon EJ is going to move to to me. Yeah, I'm moving up. Um, I'm, I'm, I got the hitch installed on my car. Tow a little trailer. Bring all my shit up north. And then be an East Coast boy again. We're going to hang out all the time. We can record the podcast together in the same room. It'll, in fact, be so much easier to do. (laughs) Yeah, we can just have, like, one recording device, maybe. Yeah, it'll just be, like, a lot easier, probably. We've already been through hell today to bring you this audio. Yeah. This is just, like, this is a public service announcement to say, fuck Zoom Incorporated. I'm saying yeah, this. Pub- Zoom. Zoom, I'm blast. saying this publicly. I'm canceling Zoom for their 40 minute yep. limit for people who don't pay. Capitalist yep. pigs, you did us a service, and now you're fucking us over. Well, it's 40 minutes on the paid accounts too. Why would that be helpful or useful to anybody? That's like literally not helpful. <laughs> Anything else that you want to share before we start? Before we start doing this, what um, else have we been up to? Oh, the power went out in my apartment today, and I um, immediately violated the first rule of power outages in the summer in Texas, which is that I opened my freezer. Um, You're not supposed to do that. But I really wanted a freeze pop, like, so bad. Like, I did stand in front of the freezer thinking if it was worth it. Um, And then I just grabbed, like, three freeze pops and ate all of them. The world's ending, so. Sometimes you need to eat three freeze pops because the world is ending, yeah. <laughs> so I felt like, I don't know, I, I come here for, like, a lot of religious ritual. This podcast, I, I come to this podcast to participate in religious ritual. So um, that was confession. and Wow, um, no, that know. was really that was really beautiful. That means a lot to me that you've confessed here yeah. today. Do you have any sins you need to confess? My sins are that I cannot stop reading fan fiction about Steve Harrington and Eddie Munson. <laughs> Which feels like, Oh yeah, we are deep in our Eddie Munson we are era. Deep, we're deep. I mean, if you know, if you're an MCR person, I feel like you're also an Eddie Munson person and like, oh boy, yeah. are we Eddie Munson people. 
So we're deep in our Eddie Mudson era, which is, I think, a sin that I need to confess. <laughs> I think it is. It does feel a little sinful. I've, I've, I've latched on to yet another long hair, queer footed guy. Um, and this one reawakened my gender crisis in a big way, in like an mm. actual way, but in a way that I had yeah. to like actually deal with, <laughs> which is like funny and also not. <laughs> But anyway, catch me with a catch me with an Eddie Munson tattoo in like a week and a half. So what are we talking about today? My Chemical Romance um, (laughs) is what this podcast is about. Um, We're talking about, (laughs) hey, in case you're lost, we're talking about My Chemical Romance. (laughs) This is not an Eddie Munson podcast. We will not. Hey, he might come up again, but he might come up again. He might. he, He might. I don't know. You never know. So we're talking about My Chemical Romance, and specifically, what are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about legacy. We had a really hard time defining what legacy was. Yeah, because, like, what is that? Because, <laughs> like, what does that mean? And the answer is it means a lot of things. So we have a ton yeah. of notes for this one. And we'll see what we get through and what we kind of latch on to. Yeah, legacy is a lot of different things in MCR. It matters in a lot of different ways, and it gets explored in a lot of different ways it does i think i guess i don't know gun to your head what is legacy gun to my gun 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 what is it there's a gun being pointed at my head there's a gun what is legacy what is legacy it's interesting like looking back on their career because they've been writing about their legacy in ways that feel like like foreshadowing sometimes and then also like yeah, I mean, they've been writing about it since Bullets. They've been writing about this concept of, like, their legacy and what they want their legacy to be and, like, crafting this kind of um, goal or mission. And it's something that they've been doing for a long, long time and that I think often, yeah, feels like a, like a foreshadow. Like, sometimes they'll write something and you're like, how did you know what was going to happen um, to yourself? And then also, you know, because they're such a big... They're such a big band and they have such a cult following. I think it's always interesting to see the difference between what people who are in these bands like think about their legacy or think about the way that they're perceived um, compared to like mass media and then also compared to like fan. Because I think that like there's a lot about just like, I don't know, the process of being an artist and creating art and stuff. But then there's also a lot to say about like fame and media and idolatry and like stuff like that so yeah i just think that it's a theme that comes up a lot what about you i think legacy is interesting because of the way that death works broadly in mcr songs and the mcr universe especially like early stuff and i guess that leads us into i mean if we're just looking at looking at our outline like legacy and immortality and the way that death especially in Bullets, is something that's very cyclical. Like, there's a lot of coming back from the dead, Bullets and Revenge. There's a lot of these ideas about immortality and living on, and I think that connects um, really interestingly to the way that they deal with legacy more in the way that you're talking. I think one of the most important lines for thinking about, like, that that idea of legacy where it revolves around death is, oh, how wrong we were to think that immortality meant never dying. Right. That that's that's such a, like, thesis statement line. Yeah, for, like, the rest of their fucking career. 
So it's crazy that they wrote that in like 2002. <laughs> First album that that goes on to define so much of the way that they're thinking about, okay, what do, what is this afterlife like? Yeah. Both like in the hands of the, the people who are fans and media, people who are consuming this art and who are making it meaningful through that kind of consuming. What is that? Like that's kind of an afterlife in terms of legacy, right? Totally. And also I think meaningfully like in terms of, the way that they think about lifetimes in Black Parade, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, so they, like, I mean, they started talking about legacy and immortality in Bullets with that line, and then continued into into Revenge. And I feel like Revenge is where you first start seeing their, like, they're becoming more aware of their interactions with the public, and there's more of a media frenzy around them. I mean, obviously, like, you know, if you watch whatever Life on the Murder Scene or any interviews with them from those early days, you know that, like, there there was frenzy around them fucking immediately, right? People wanted them to record a full-length album immediately, and they were like, let us just be a fucking band. But you can see them start reckoning with that in Three Cheers. For example, I wouldn't front the scene if you paid me in Three, che- mm-hmm. in, uh, three Cheers for the Venom is what I almost just said. Three Cheers for the Venom. Yeah, Venom. <laughs> venom, 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 Venom. <laughs> and thanks very much in 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 Cheers, thanks for the Venom. <laughs> My favorite MCR song. Cheers, thanks for the Venom. They say, um, I would have read the scene if you paid me, which I think, like, is Gerard kind of referencing the way that, like, he has been made the head of this scene very suddenly? And has been, like, Mm. become this representative for this scene that they kind of were not a representative for at all. Like, they were so unique in the scene. We can see that in in other places in Revenge. Where else can we see it? Well, we wrote down fashion statement. We did write down fashion statement. Yeah, that's what I was, yeah. Yeah, just the title. Like, that's an insane title when you think about, like, so, like, right. They're, like, he's, like, I'm not going to front the scene if you paid me whatever. But then also, like, it's not a fucking, it's not a fashion statement. It's a fucking death wish. Like, the way that they were, like shoehorned into like the genre of emo and like talked about as being like not only just that but also the fact that they were like wearing makeup and dressing in ways that were like like wearing costumes and things like that um and doing things that like were very different from bands in the scene at the time where it was mostly i mean we talked about this a little bit in our first episode right because they were camp they received like a ton of fucking hate for it and so like that interaction like, I think that that really points to the way that they were, like, positioned, like, in terms of, like, the public, who were, like, what is up with these dudes? You're the front of the scene. Like, we don't we don't want you to be the front of the scene. You're not part of the scene. And I think that's so interesting. Like, it's clear that they're struggling with, like, number one, that reaction from other bands. Number two, being a commercially successful band. Right. Um, and getting that kind of, that kind of attention, that kind of fame. And then, like saving kids lives right like actually being that important to people so it's like uh, to connect it back to legacy right that's grappling with a lot of different strong views about this band yeah and how it's being perceived and what that means for what the band means what the band can do um what they're what they're how, what they will be remembered for um, which it's very cool to be talking about this in an era where like, that's not closed. That's not closed off at all. Yeah, it really um, is cool. They got more to do and they've already done so much, which is crazy. It also makes me think what you were saying earlier about like how so much of this is prophetic. Like they'll talk about being 
or like struggle with this this kind of media frenzy or popularity. Yeah, the the MTVification. Yeah. <laughs> and then go on to release Black Parade. It gets louder and louder and louder. Yeah, um, it does. So I guess that's re- that's revenge really. I mean, bullets and revenge like that's where you see it happening. Yeah. And then it gets louder. <laughs> oh shit. Someone turned up the volume. What we're talking about is the Black Parade. When I was thinking about legacy, and death and how to talk about these things in our queer little podcast about in our gay little podcast of like what a queer reading of time history death and like memory could look like um when we're reading mcr when we're reading these lyrics and the broader lore and all of that and something that immediately popped out to me was like the idea of queer time and queer temporalities queer time queer time it's queer time it's queer time Uh, (laughs) it's queer time welcome a a good text for this episode if you want to do some homework um is in a queer time and place by jack halberstam it's a it's a really cool book like going back through it again um he talks about so much like 90s queer media that um is really cool. Like, there's a whole section about Slater Kenny in this book. There's uh, Brandon Tina and Boys Don't Cry. The idea of rural queers, like, we're not going to get into all of that. But, like, it, it it's such a cool book that makes really awesome points. Also that, like, connect back to what we were, what I was, like, saying last episode about, like, non-normative ideas of, like, being queer. Or, or non-binary becomes a third gender. Jack Halberstam has some really cool things to say about that. Um, but we're not going to go over that here. Arguably, one of the coolest things that he talks about um, is, like, queer temporality and um, the idea of, like, non-normative lifetimes or ways of marking time. And this is, I'll connect this to Black Parade in a second, but he references some work that um, Lee Edelman has done that was actually pre-No Future um, about the AIDS crisis and um, how people were understanding their lifetimes when they weren't able to live out that entire lifetime or their partner wasn't able to live out that entire lifetime Um, and how that kind of constrained time period influenced like your understanding of yourself, your understanding of how you'll be remembered and what you can do. And Jack Halberstam really like extends that out to like thinking about queer ways of being like, outside of the family, outside of, like, heteronormative family structures, which are necessarily designed to extend into the future, right? Like, you have your adolescence, and then you're an adult, and you reproduce, and then that goes on and on and on again. That same structure keeps itself alive forever, which is something that Lee Edelman talks about more. I'm talking a lot. Sorry, I'm doing my book report. (laughs) We need the book report. We're using these themes. He's talking about how, like, even without the structure of the AIDS crisis or lives that are cut short, how like queer ways of living or structuring time, like not around this reproductive family unit um, can just be useful for thinking about other ways of forming community, other ways of being together. Right. Like what does like, what does a family look like when you necessarily are not able to reproduce? Right. And how do you make a legacy, make memory? How are you remembered when you're, continuance into the future isn't dictated by the structure of like heteronormative reproduction totally how how do you make yourself matter do you make yourself matter 
the chapters that I want to go back and reread more in detail are one, two, and seven. Seven's the one with Slater Kenny stuff and a lot of like girl punk. But yeah, so with that kind of like foundation, think ooh, founda- foundations. Oh, we'll get back to that. No, I'm gonna absolutely, I'm absolutely gonna kick your ass. But <laughs> yeah, do it, do it through the FaceTime screen. I'm, okay, I'm, I'm absolutely gonna kick your ass. The new kiss me through the phone is kick my ass through the FaceTime. Kick screen. my ass through FaceTime. <laughs> okay. Anyway, thinking about the Black Parade. Why does this matter with the Black Parade? Well, a lot of fucking reasons. We like broke down basically every song in this album to think about how it connects to this idea of. Number one, a lifetime cut short. And number two, grappling with, like, what your memory can be like when it is outside of, like, a full lived lifetime with all of, like, the heteronormative opportunities that that presents. Right? Yeah. Um, Because the Black Parade is about somebody who's dying from cancer. Um, But maybe we can read it as other illnesses, too. Interesting. Especially, like, through a queer lens. Uh, There's a lot of places you can go with that. If we look at Welcome to the Black Parade, our, our, our title track, like, thinking about legacy and memory, there's, like, a very strong mission that is given to the kid who's seen the marching band, right? I feel like we're doing Black Parade 101 right here. Like, hey, did you guys know that when I was a young boy, my father took me into the city to see a marching band? Did you guys know that? When we were first writing the notes for this episode, we pulled up the lyrics to Black Parade. And then and we're like, oh, fuck. Oh, yeah. I feel my like God. I saw it. I know. I feel like I saw it with new light. Like, I feel like it's been so memed into oblivion at this point that, like, yeah, I'm just like, haha, yes. G note, like, haha, like, whatever. But then, like, actually right. looking at these lyrics, especially in the context of, like, these themes you were talking about, I was like, oh, actually, mm-hmm. fuck me up straight to hell. Yeah. Like, let's, let's, let's suspend the Black Parade meme for, like, one second. Like, what's happening to this kid in this marching band situation? (laughs) (laughs) The marching band situation that we were finding ourselves in, his father says, will you, son, son, comma, when you grow up, would you be the savior of the broken, the beaten, and the damned? That's a lot to ask from a kid. And, like, through that lens, I read that as, like, number one, that's, if we're thinking about legacy, that's a call to do something very um, specific with your life, like something very heroic with your life, savory with your life. Um, and I also think it's very important that this is something that's coming from a father. Like we've got a family here that's showing up, um, that this is someone passing down a role for somebody. And in the Black Parade, we learn certainly that this is not something that this person can achieve um that it feels too big right or wants to achieve so this is like the theme of these like expectations that i think carries through basically everything that we're talking about like there are these expectations that are imposed on this character that they're unable to live up to right disappointed faces of your peers um and i guess to to i want to mention the hunifa birakib essay because it's so good um but like he's making the point that MCR and the Black Parade in general, like, pull people together through grief. And it doesn't matter, like, necessarily your individual, like, loneliness in your grief, but it's something that is able to be made public in that way, um, which we could read as, like, drawing drawing together a community through a particular experience of death. 
and making a memory matter in that way. Um, yeah, there's a quote in here that I think is excellent for this context that says, the message of a universal grief, yours and mine, that we can acknowledge together and briefly make lighter for each other is in that moment, specifically in Famous Lost Words is what he's referencing. But but the message of a universal grief, um, our grief, discussions of our grief and our work is what he talks about in terms of that, like, collective you and our just thinking about like i mean this is way scaled up from like the song level analysis that we're looking at but like the way that mcr is both like critiquing the kind of or like i guess struggling with the way of like how to make your memory matter in this like non-normative lifespan but then also provides that for people through that collectivization of grief i need to think more about that but like it's there i'm turning it around in my brain <laughs> like a rotisserie chicken like a rotisserie chicken <laughs> it is uh glistening oh my god i'm i'm fucking basting that shit <laughs> that's what this podcast is is basting the rotisserie chicken of my chemical romance yes. oh my god <laughs> um have we talked enough about this particular song because we got a lot to, lot to go I think something we didn't necessarily talk about when we first brought this song up is, I mean, you said at the, at the beginning, it's so important that the person who's bringing this up to him is his father, right? There's this like nuclear mm-hmm. family structure. But I think there's also this like really intense masculinity theme in this song, like where mm. he's like, I want you to be like whatever, essentially larger than life in like what you represent, like the noble masculinity of being a savior and a hero. And like the refrain of the like bridge of this is like, I'm just a man. I'm not a hero. I'm just a boy. I'm just a boy. I'm just a boy. Which I think like also like kind of deconstructs that like nuclear family expectation of masculinity. Yeah. Jack Halberstam also talks about um, like perpetual adolescence Mm. as a queer Ah, experience. Yes. Oh boy, oh boy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right? That one smacked me in the face a little bit. (laughs) Um, But, like, the idea that, like, we might have to get back into marriage here, but that, like, marriage and, and, like, setting yourself on this trajectory of heteronormative reproduction, that's what transitions you into, like, adulthood, right? And if Uh you never are presented with that heterosexual timeline for structuring your life, you don't ever feel like an adult. Which right. actually transitions us excellently to I know <laughs> to when I grow up, I want to be nothing at all. Fuck me! I mean, what a like within this context, what a thing to say! What a thing to say! I mean, this is this is the first song in the album. This is a character who's grappling with like not going to be able to live a full lifetime, right? And when I grow up, I want to be nothing at all, right? Like, that that is even desirable. It's kind of... Right! Ooh. Ooh. Right. Ooh. I don't even want to conform to any of those ideas. I'm not even going to uh-huh. try. This is a gay song. <laughs> this is an exceptionally transgender song. This song is transgender. When you look in the mirror and don't like what you see. For me, the line that, like, really stood out... I mean, in first of all, the first line that stands out to me is when I grow up, I want to be nothing at all. But along with that is the classic, here's my resignation, I'll serve it in drag. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, when we are talking about the concept of queer time and the concept of like 
living an expected life, putting in your little resignation to like your expected nuclear life in drag. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. (laughs) Having that be the rejection. Right. And I also feel as we're talking about this song, um, thinking about the, the end of time, end of the world, it's the same chord progression as five years by, by David Bowie. Um, and uh, I think a lot of people don't know that. I lost my goddamn mind when I figured that out. Um, but, like, these are both songs about the end of the world of, like, something um, being cut short and grappling with that. Gerard said, queer icon David Bowie. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and I'm going to do it also. <laughs> and use the same chords. Um, so, yeah, the they know what they're doing in this song. The next song on the album. Um, with a transition into the song that um, breaks me down to my purest and most, most essential form whenever it happens, um, is Dead. This is one of my favorite MCR songs. I would say as as a pair, like The End and Dead together as t- like two songs are like, yeah, I mean, top, 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 top of the list for me. I, I, something that you said while we were like doing our notes, like how how playful this song is. Yeah, I think is is really interesting that it's like this celebration of of death or the inability to like live out a full lifespan. The there's no need to um, assume those responsibilities necessarily. That that gets to be there's a lot of fun little horns going on, right? <laughs> like she's a little cheeky. Like yeah, it's like it's like the ending of your life, you know. I think that the thing that we wanted to highlight the most in this song is the line, did you get what you deserve? Which is repeated over and over again, multiple times. This idea of like deserving something, deserving a life, deserving a long life, deserving a certain Mm. nuclear perception of a life Mm -hmm. and asking- Maybe deserving to be a savior. Right. And asking these things while you are in the process of like, of dying, right? Or someone has died. You're asking like, did you get what you deserve? Which I think can right. be read two ways. Um, getting what you deserve in a good way, but also getting, <laughs> get, like, did you get what you deserve? I don't know. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. In, a, in maybe a, a, a negative way. And I guess it can be read both ways. But specifically in terms of the, like, getting what you deserve in terms of, like, a longer or a nuclear life, the you never fell in love. Did you get what you mm. deserve? You never fell in love is very important when we're thinking about, like, how family structures heteronormative time. Um, but that's that marker that you, you never fell in love. You never achieved that kind of seemingly necessary, necessary point in time. Where else do we see that on this album? Well, we see that in the song Cancer, um, for sure. Know that I will never marry. Um, but that shows up multiple times in this, uh, album. I see what's happening. That, that, that's something you can never achieve and that, that, I just like broadly in this album grappling with like, is that a loss or is that an opportunity going back and forth between both of those things? Is that a loss or is it an opportunity? And I think for a lot of the album, it is a loss, right? And like the end in dead, we can kind of play around with it and say like, yeah, I got what I deserve. Um, No, I can't achieve this shit that I never really wanted to accomplish anyway. This mission that my dad gave me like, but then also like, what do I do now? Like, how do I, how do I matter? How do I make myself matter? Yeah without being able to do any of those normal ways of making yourself matter. We also saw that, you know, Cancer is a song that you can read a couple of of different ways. Like, 
they've been pretty clear that, okay, this is an album about somebody who's dying from cancer, but if we wanted to do a queer reading of this, like, there's really no reason that this can't be somebody who's also dying from AIDS. Correct, yeah, except for the, like, the song title and the line, Baby, I'm Soggy from the Chemo. Like, those are the only two things that make it explicitly about cancer specifically as a disease. Yeah. The Bury Me and All My Favorite Colors, My Brothers and My Sisters Still, I Will Not Kiss You, like, these are, this feels like something else to me that is, it's, it's coded. During the AIDS crisis, like, there were, like, public kiss-ins and, like, protests and stuff like that in terms of, like, to try to break the stigma of, of AIDS as a disease. I Will Not Kiss You in this framing feels like a connection to AIDS as a disease, much more than it feels like a connection to cancer as a disease. And, like, this community, what's the word that I'm looking for? The community inherent in, like, sisters and brothers, which feels more expansive than just, like, a direct nuclear family. I think oh, yeah. all of those themes in that line, like, make it feel more expansive than, like, maybe a can like, just a cancer reading. It feels more sure. like it could be, yeah. it could connect to something like the AIDS crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, how do you feel about the song Mama? The song Mama is... <laughs> <laughs> is perhaps the sole thing responsible for making me transgender. (laughs) The song Mama perhaps changed every facet of my personality the first time that I heard it. A cultural touchstone. Obviously, we have to touch on the very blatant trans lyrics in here. You should have raised a baby girl. I should have been a better son. She said, you ain't no son of mine for what you did. Mm -hmm. You're going to find a place for you and... Just you mind your manners when you go. The family here is super, super strong. And then like the deviance from the way that things were meant to be in that family structure. Super, super strong here. And that that also gets characterized as burning in hell. Interesting. We, as we were going through this, we also realized that we have so much to say about Joan of Arc. Um, we have a different episode. so much to say about Joan of Arc. If there's a single we'll time that you're that. like, um, hey, maybe you should talk about the fire themes in here. We're getting there. Just know we're that we're going to talk about we're going to talk about fire and gender and purifying flame at some point. And it's not right now, but it will be another time. Marin, the next song, it's one of your favorite songs. Um. <laughs> Is it? I, you, OK, it's not. I mean, I love. OK, it's sleep. The song they were talking about is Sleep. EJ didn't like Sleep for a long time, and I uh, had to absolutely kick their ass about it because I think Sleep is an excellent song. I love the wall of sound feeling. I love how big it feels when I listen to it. I love the dynamics. I love Sleep as a song. But uh, what do we have to say about fucking Sleep? What do we have to say about Sleep? <laughs> yeah, like something about, I guess, dreams. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yes. We were like, dreams? I think, yeah, the dreams are important. The hardest part is letting go of your dreams. Okay. Um, dreams as in things that you thought you were going to accomplish in your life, which now you can't. Um, and then also being haunted by, um, night terror. Correct. Okay. I like hadn't necessarily fully connected that in my head. I was just like, obviously it's called sleep. The hardest part is letting go of your dreams, the physical dreams that you are dreaming while you are sleeping and unconscious. And then EJ was like, but also your dreams as in like the things that you're aspiring to. And I was like, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fucking obviously. Like, fucking obviously. (laughs) Of course. Teenagers also felt a little forced, but I think we came around to the conclusion that it is necessary. Like, that there's a lot of things that people want teenagers to do, but they don't. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. 
More so than that, oh. it's just a song about fully not conform, like a non-conformist, yeah. right? Like, I mean, they're yeah. ripping your aspirations to shreds, and you're a fucking cog in a murder machine. So, I mean, it, that's pretty damning of like societal expectations, I guess. These ones feel like yeah. reaches. <laughs> these ones these feel. Ones also <laughs> I mean, these ones feel a little reachy, and that's okay. Um, that's okay, but they're there. Disenchanted, though. We didn't write down any lyrics, but that's okay. <laughs> we said we literally, we literally wrote down, "Oh my god, it's the whole song." Thank you, Makey Way, for your service, um, which yeah. is not helpful for right now when we're trying to talk about it. This is very much about reflecting on your life as you've gotten older. Um, like specifically, I'm thinking you're a sad song with nothing to say about a lifelong wait for a hospital stay. Your entire life, you're waiting mm-hmm. for your death in the hospital bed. I think on top of that too like that and just thinking about how uh, the events in a heteronormative timeline are so easily accessible like they're pre-planned out for you like that's the that's the route leads up to the hospital stay right like that's the wait. like it's that following that structure that's not very exciting that's not a very exciting way to live it's a very easy way to live um but it's not it, it doesn't feel meaningful at all in this song totally especially because um, I think Gerard is connecting it to, like, this death of, like, death of your heroes. I spent my high school career spit on and shoved to agree so I could watch all my heroes sell a car on TV. Bring out the old guillotine, we'll show them what we all mean. I'm gonna say that whole thing for you guys. Um, because the whole thing is about how, like, your heroes are gonna fall into the same boring traps that we all do, right? Your heroes are gonna, are gonna marry, reproduce, get old, and die. They're going to sell the fuck out and you need to kill them because of that. Yes. uh Uh-huh. And I I mean, that preempts, I think, something that we'll say later about American Band, My Chemical Romance and Their Resurgence. Correct. Um, Again, death never is permanent for My Chemical Romance, that we've got eras upon eras upon eras, and that even if you kill your heroes, uh, they can come back. Should we talk about famous last words? I mean, some lyrics that we did pull out are, I am not afraid to keep on living. I am not afraid to walk this world alone. 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 Which is such an interesting divergence from, like, I think the conclusions that get drawn from conversations about queer time a lot, which is, like, you may not be able to build family through this heteronormative structure, Instead, you can build it through, like, making other relationships. But this ends on a loan. Right. This ends on continuing on without that, necessarily. Yeah. Which is different. That's, that's, um, I think what they, the, what they do versus what they say goes back to the Hanif Abdurraqib essay. Yeah, I was, I was thinking of that as well, yeah. You can persist alone, but you're going to find other people who are doing the same thing. So there's the again, the message of a universal grief, right, that we can acknowledge together. After that, he says, that which does not kill you may certainly kill someone else. That which does not kill you may form a fresh layer of sadness on the shoulders of someone you do not know, but who still may need to press their ear to the same thing that told you everything was going to be all right when you didn't feel like everything was going to be all right. It's a collective and an individual experience, right? So you can do it alone and you will have to do it alone at some point. Hanif describes it as like, it doesn't treat the recesses of grief as a members only party, which is excellent. But yeah, definitely like sets this like, right, you can persist alone, you have the power to persist alone, you have a power to persist outside of 
outside of relationships if you need to. Death yeah. and grief is in many ways a lonely experience and it's also collective. That's a cool way to end this album. <laughs> it so is. Truly the ending song of all time. So that's the Black Parade. In conclusion, in conclusion, Black Parade is such a gay album. It's even a transgender album. And that's it. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> it's Thanks about for listening. how to live outside of normative time. I mean, yeah, that is the thesis statement of, of, of our podcast, right? Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. Um, it's, it is presenting a character who's struggling with the inability to subsist in like a normative structure of time. Yeah, in, in a normative structure of time, and in fact, like, in all normative structures, essentially, right? In yeah. the normative structures yes. of relationships, of time, of mm-hmm. what up, nuclear family, of yes. just, like, the, quote-unquote, the system in society, you know? Like, literally, yeah. just, like... Yeah, yeah, which you could almost say is, like, setting the scope as, like, that necessarily this is queer. Correct, like, necessarily, right. it is outside of normativity, like... And yeah, it's specifically struggling with like how you are going to make yourself matter um, when you don't have the easy way out, essentially, of uh, living a full lifetime. And what do you do? What do you do with that? How do you um, either carry your memory on through time? How do you make relationships that matter? How do you continue on alone? How do you live forever? How do you live forever if you're going to die? That might be a question that ncr asks uh in their later albums that's right we're finally talking about danger days oh my god (laughs) we've made it to an episode where we even mention her name we've really paid her fucking dirt so far hey we're talking about danger days now we are and specifically we're talking about we are going from talking about this idea of a life being cut short and then also now coinciding with that the idea of living forever there's a lot of living forever in Danger Days and, and beyond. There's a lot of living forever. Danger Days and beyond, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is, like, very clearly MCR grappling with the idea that, like, how, how, do we, how do we maintain our momentum? Like, how do we come off of, like, all of this fame and, like, shape what it means to people? Like, how do we navigate our fame? How do we navigate the way that our art is going to be remembered? right. Here's here's part of why we haven't talked about Danger Days yet is because there's kind of a lot in Danger Days. There's kind of a lot thematically. I mean, there's a lot thematically. Jesus, Jesus Christ, could they write a less dense album, please? Could Gerard Way, could Gerard Way please write a single album or song that is not dense and vague, <laughs> please, for our sakes? Um, like, have have they ever? No, uh, millions. <laughs> um, that's not dense or vague. <laughs> No, definitely not. <laughs> that one, it's very straightforward. That one is that one's straightforward as shit. You know what? They said that one was about jewel thieves, and I take that at face value. <laughs> I actually think that that one's about jewel thieves. The jewel thieves are not are not holding hands, and you don't understand about it. The jewel the jewel thieves are using their magic powers with the children again. The jewel thieves kissed on the floor. <laughs> what? <laughs> their mouth. Their mouths are sore. What happened? I don't know. I don't know if in good conscience we can do a millions episode. <laughs> I literally don't think we can. <laughs> I don't think we can. This is all you're getting from us. Just kidding. We'll make a joke That's again about. We'll, ma- we'll make a joke again. again about it probably, but we're not. You're not gonna get it. You fucking filthy. You filthy. <laughs> you filthy. You filthy assholes. <laughs> you're talking about our dear listeners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. 
We know what you want. We know what you want. We know what you want. You want us to dissect millions? You're not going to get it. Anyway, Dave Judays, there's a lot in the later albums, in the later albums, especially from Danger Days and Conventional Weapons, the CW, where they talk a lot about they've been famous at this point for longer, and they've also just, like, been mm-hmm. genuinely famous. Like, they lived through the Black Parade. So, like, there's a yeah. lot about... I wrote down fame and sterility and rebellion. Yeah. I also think, like, very forwardly it's about capitalism and like art in capitalism correct it is and how to make something meaningful or something that people can connect over when um so much of it is dictated by the need to make money they sell presentable young and so ingestible sterile and collectible safe and i can't stand it we're not doing that we're not not gonna sell the presentable ingestible sterile collectible shit there's obviously like a big theme in this is yeah rebelling against capitalism rebelling against the the man of um warner brothers studios specifically specifically rebelling (laughs) against uh, (laughs) um it's unsubtle yeah it's not subtle at all um you know rebelling against whatever what the music industry expects of you rebelling against just like what is expected of you i guess making a name for yourself through that, right? Through the people who understand with you. Like, I'm thinking um, the good guys die and the bad guys win. Who cares? It ain't about all the friends you made, but the graffiti they write on your grave. It's about the people who fucking get it the same way that you do, outside of a system that you're expected to, like, live in a certain way. Like, the people who get it are gonna graffiti the shit out of your gravestone, man. You know, mm-hmm. they're not going to like mm-hmm. let you sit in a in a weird cold box. They're right. they're resu- they're resurrecting your your ideas, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's the immortality of it. Right. I, I, I think that like rebellion is really a theme that connects like both things that we're talking about with legacy and time. Right. That like that kind of like seeing those expectations that are being pushed on you from one place or another like either as a young person or a person who has to operate within feels like so constrained to operate within a particular system how do you how do you persist outside of that absolutely um and i think you said something really interesting about memory Um, yeah the graffiti they write on your grave right that really pops to me who makes you matter and who gets to determine how you matter right you have absolutely no control over that once you're actually dead to establish that community we actively see the band doing you know yeah um no totally i mean yeah you see that in like songs like the only hope for me is you literally the the fucking thing is remember me remember me remember Mm -hmm. me remember me over and over and over again i think we could probably talk about kids from yesterday now also um yeah right like i mean the remembering is the thing right like the way that you conceptualize something after they are gone. Um, and that is really the whole live forever thing. We can live forever if you've got the time. You only live forever in the lights you make. You only live forever in the things that you create. And then once you are gone, it lives on without you and has a life of its own. That is how you live forever. Yeah. Like to me, like Kids from Yesterday is the legacy song. It's all about, I don't know. I think that Kids from Yesterday feels like the band coming to terms with or finding like an understanding of the things that they have actively created and like seeing the way that it will live on without them. Yeah, absolutely. And that like the people who get your art on that level, keep it alive. 
too. Right, exactly. Like, yeah. That's what makes it something that survives, really, that people are that passionate about it, that people see it and know that it matters. Right. And continue to make it matter by sharing it with other people. And, like, oh, thinking about TikTok teens getting into MCR, like, now. Yeah. Makes me want to cry and pull my eyes out. Like, that. <laughs> in a good way. In a good way. Oh, yes. Yeah, positive pulling my eyes out. Like, it's happening. It's happening right now. Like, there is a new generation. Like, adult emos are having children and then those kids are also mcr fans that's nuts that's gonna that's gonna keep happening i'm also thinking this is a thought that i'm just having right now like listening to you talk about this about myth and lore yeah and how this band builds myth around itself yeah gerard way gerard way mythologizes the shit out of this band yeah like i mean like from life on the murder scene to like actually structuring danger days in its own narrative universe right 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 that that it, it's it's a, a story that's complex and that has to be understood and then i don't know also thinking about the comics right like those characters from danger days the album are then treated the same way as these like figures that have died and are remembered as heroes by people after they're gone in that comic which is crazy um that for someone to write a comic like that about themselves holy shit um (laughs) no yeah it is and they're bands that they're not in anymore fucking fuck yeah that that's part of i think making making memory is making those stories that can be passed on as lore that can be passed on as myth. I think that's one of the most wonderful things about being an MCR fan is that there's so much lore. There's so much, there is, like, it feels really unique to me in terms of, like, experiences and, like, other, like, other, I don't know. Maybe it is, maybe it is similar for other bands, but I just don't think it is. I just don't think it is. The way that they've mythologized and crafted their own story and the way that they want their story to be told throughout time Mm -hmm. is, like, really, it's really intense. And I'm also, this is tangential, but, like, the way that the internet facilitates that lore being passed down. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, necessarily, like, that that same thing wouldn't have happened with, like, bands in the 70s or 80s unless it was actually, like, written down and right. shared. Totally. Or that there was a tight enough community of people to all talk about something that had happened. Right. But, like, we can take pictures and videos of things that happened in, say, 2007, um, and continue to share them. <laughs> I'm just uh, out of curiosity, are you thinking about yeah. a specific instance of something happening um, in 2007? No, actually, I'm, in fact, I'm thinking about the entire ProRev tour. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Just broadly. Yeah, yeah. Just um, broadly. But I also specifically, like, that, that, that that's such a unique way to share. I think that's why it feels like there's so much of it. Yeah. It's just because I think you're right. it's all been documented and shared by a particular community. Which, like, wow, that's crazy. The way that bands <laughs> exist and are able to craft their own narratives about themselves almost. Like, now, mm-hmm. when you are able to, like... Or, like, not craft their own narratives about themselves, right? Or, like, have yeah. their narratives shaped for them by people who are watching them or whatever. And, like, definitely yeah. thinking about the way that, like, the legacy and narrative of MCR has changed over time. The way that it used to, mm-hmm. like they used to be regarded totally differently as they are now. And like now because of the way that these things have been documented, people can be like, Oh, this band has been doing queer fucking shit 
for so many years and like that kind of stuff like hasn't been documented in the same way for like bands that existed before whatever pre-9-11 like pre-9-11 pre-internet whatever specifically pre-youtube and social media so the way that like yeah the way that their legacy has totally shifted and like you can try to craft this thing for yourself and like I guess you can't fully just craft your own narrative you can't be like this is what the band is about and then everyone just believes Mm -hmm. that you know, like, it's not at face value. Yeah. I think that for yeah. for this band, though, like, I do feel like their, like, narrative of themselves and also the narrative that has been crafted through, like, lore and stuff matches up. But I don't think that's necessarily true for every every band. For people who are, like, right. maybe shittier people and have shittier, miss- like, missions mm-hmm. and shittier messages or whatever, you know? But, like, I mean, luckily. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And I, I think there there's something different from, like, someone who is, or a group of people who are so sincere as MCR to set out and, like, give themselves a massive, almost, I mean, as we discussed in our first episode, almost unachievable mission and to to put that out publicly, right, and to build that lore around that and then also have that publicly generated lore on live journal, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> on on the, 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 the deep web. Um, <laughs> and as, as you know, that's what live journal is, oh, yeah. um, that having that versus mainstream pop stars with their PR teams mm-hmm. very carefully crafting an internet presence, a press presence, feeding interviewers questions, like all of that kind of thing to, to shape a public perception like that. Always, you know, when that's happening, you can always tell when that's happening. None of that is sincere, but Today, you can go and watch an interview that a gay porn website did with My Chemical Romance in 2002. Right. You can do that. That was not scripted. <laughs> that shit was not scripted. No, it was not. Um, that was purely authentically My Chemical Romance. And, like, you can you, those things are so much more real than those very, like, tightly controlled market, marketable experiences, which is exactly what the band is talking about in Danger Days. That's exactly what they're nice, coming up against. Nice cycle. Nice, cycl- nice cyclical moment there. In terms of conventional weapons, I feel like we don't necessarily need to talk a lot about this. I feel like we've kind of discussed this already. Um, also, Boy Division, banger. Gerard Way, in that song, really said, I'm making a Don't Ask, Don't Tell reference. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. They said, I'm, making, that. I'm making a Don't Ask, Don't Tell reference. I literally, mm-hmm. the first time I heard the song, I said, Don't Ask, Don't Tell? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. You you literally were like, oh my god, I literally forgot about Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Um, So, fake your death. This song would be good if it wasn't for the Stomp Pops. Here's the thing. Every time this song comes on, I'm like, I'm simultaneously in pain for two different reasons. One of it is because, holy (laughs) shit, you wrote those lyrics. The other is, why are we stomp clapping the whole fucking time? (laughs) It makes me want to i start i have to by the set time the second verse sets in i have to start absolutely just braining myself against my steering wheel to the beat of the stomp claps so that i can uh eventually become unconscious by the end of the song (laughs) (laughs) because oh my god that stomp clap is so bad um but wow the lyrics the lyrics they held zero punches um Okay, this is actually another one where Gerard Way said, I'm going to be straightforward and I'm not going to be vague for once. So this is, I mean, this is a song that they release when the band is breaking up, right? Um, That is very much about endings and very much about what do you do after an ending? 
the line I choose to feed, I walk away and leave this place the same today. Fuck me. Like, it's so resigned. It's so this. I mean, it's it's bitter. It's like, that's a hard way to leave something. That's what makes this song so hard to listen to for me. Yeah. Um, is that they're really coming to terms with, like, the dying part of living forever. Yeah, the dying part of living forever and also just, like, reckoning with, like, maybe we have we have failed in some ways. And, like, I think that yeah. Gerard Way, I said this at, at another point in our podcast, but, like, the way that, like, the Black Parade was initially received and the way that the band was initially received and the way that like a lot of that media reception happened like was a failure for them I think and mm. went a different way like I mean they went through a lot of fucking shit and so definitely like grappling with yeah the death that's inherent there but also just like feeling like you haven't changed anything actually mm-hmm. like you maybe you haven't actively done the thing that you set out to to do right which we've talked about previously the line that makes me crazy is even good guys still get paid they said we might be a nice we might be nice guys, but we're still getting paid. You're still giving us money. Warner Brothers is still giving us money. Warner Brothers gave us money, and they're gonna keep giving us money forever because the the band is just royalties, right? And is that what immortality is? Fuck that, no. But this feels so resigned to it. I I the way that I read this is is as like ending something before it becomes unsurvivable. I'm also thinking about the the vigil on birds and glass, right? As one does when they want to be sad. I think about the line that's about like the the fail switch or a, a kill switch within the band. Yeah. Like a, a time bomb within the band. <laughs> yeah. That would go off before it could ever fail, right? Right, exactly. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what this is. This is right. exactly that. That it's the, the the band ends before it can ever become something that makes the band unrecognizable. But then... But then... Oh, oh wait, what's but, that? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> hey, what is that? Is it... Hey, is that the band getting back together? Oh my god, wait. Is that... Hey, is that... Foundations of Decay? <laughs> <laughs> Foundations of Decay? The band got back together. They did it. And then they released a song. They released a song very recently. Didn't really know what many of the words were at first, but um, the more that I look at them, I say, oh my god. I think that this song is so powerful because it pulls back all of these very familiar themes in MCR songs. Like, we've got religious ritual. We've got 9-11. Like, it's all here. 9-11 is in the room. 9-11 is in the room. She showed up. To the MCR she <laughs> showed up, dude. She showed up. She's in a big dress. She showed up. Um, she's dressed up. She's ready to party. She's ready to go. And so are we um, to talk about the song Foundations of Decay. Because the lyrics here, especially in connection with like how this band thinks about its legacy, it's insane. I really like the idea of decay. I think decay is so interesting to think with. And especially when you think about like decay in the broader, like the, the way that death works in the MCR universe, this always cyclical kind of thing. The decay is the same way. Like decay is just other lively things feeding off the body of a dead thing to then continue living, right? Like decay is a very lively process. It's a very lively version of death. We talked about rats. How do you feel about rats? Um, the way that I feel about rats is that we are the rats. 
Are we the rats? Hey, are we the rats? For people who don't know what the fuck this means, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I mean, I think you probably do if you're listening to this podcast. Gerard has been yelling, rats, on stage. Dead fucking rats. Just lots of rat themes. And lots I just think in terms of, like, the swarming concept here, mm-hmm. like, we are the swarm. Like, we are, like, the fans, the, like, we're the vermin. Not in, like, necessarily yeah. a, like, a, a negative way. I don't think that that's, like, a negative context, but I think we're the, mm-hmm. we're the, we're coming back and we're chowing down on that dead band, baby. Yeah. We're chowing yeah. down on that dead band that's coming back to life. Yeah. We're chowing down. We're, like, the microbes. The microbes? No, hold on. Okay. They're, they're the band, they're the dead thing. And they're also the microbes that are eating the dead thing. So they're alive and we're eating mm-hmm. it. And we're the rats. Yes. Yes, because the microbes that do consume a dead body and decay, they live in the stomach. It's, it's, it starts there. So <laughs> This is a beautiful metaphor. <laughs> this is a beautiful metaphor, uh, but that's also true. Um, but, like, what a way to think about legacy. Like, what a way to think about keeping your memory alive in others. Yeah. Like, fueling them by continuing to provide something. Hey, EJ? Can I just, like, say hey, something? Man. Can I just say something to you really yeah. quick? Would you? I'd love for you to do that. Uh, get up, coward. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. The fucking audacity of Gerard Arthur Way yeah. to, end, oh, to end their return song, their rebirth song, with get mm-hmm. up, coward. Who's getting up? It's the band. The up. band's getting up. But mm-hmm. you know who the fuck else mm-hmm. is getting up? It's us. We're getting the fuck up. You had talked about how, like, this song is a lot about reengaging with the mission. Yeah, yeah. Or to say, like, that if it's directed at the band, that that reads to me as, like, something Gerard saying to themselves. Like, to reengage, to not give up on this because it does matter. And you may never, like, fully succeed in saving anyone. Like, that is an impossible project, yes, but that doesn't mean it's not worth doing. Um, that doesn't mean it's not worth failing and still fueling some people um, absolutely in this way that's what get up coward like surface level means to me but it also is so much more than that yeah um which you picked up on we're not engaging with the mission bitch we're doing what we fucking want if you're not down with it if your convictions were a passing phase get out we're washing you away bitch that's gerard like to me that felt so much like gerard pass like being like okay you wanted me, a, me to be a fucking hero, like, you made me a hero, like, you made me a saint. You made me a saint mm-hmm. and a whore. Now it's time for you to get the fuck up and save yourself, too. I don't have anything else to say other than what you said. Like, that's it. That's the... The mission is, like, I can't do it alone. I... You gotta do it, too. You gotta do it, too. You gotta do it with others. Yes! No, exactly. And I think that, like, I mean, they've been saying that forever, right? I'm not a fucking hero. Mm-hmm. I'm not a hero. I'm, yep. I'm an anti-hero. I'm not a hero. Like, all that shit. Yeah. But because of the nature of the band and fame and all of this stuff, in some ways, they have been made a saint and a whore. Both, right? And so it feels like a call to arms, like, both to, like, re-en- to re-engage in this message in some way, but to re-engage in it in our own fucking way. It's It's cool to be part of this in a moment where like it feels really necessary to build community it feels really necessary to be around other people and to stop being alone inside all the time make community around mcr make community around 
doing something meaningful. I don't know. Broadly, I think that's <laughs> that's an that's an amazing mission for this band to have for us all to have as fans of this band in this yeah. moment right now. I totally fucking I agree. That. And you can totally see that too in the tour, like watching Gerard be like, something yeah. feels alive. Something feels like it has come alive. Yes. How yes. fucking cool is that? You're so right. Something has come alive. We're chowing down on the body of the band. We're getting the fuck up. We're getting up. So in conclusion, it is really hard to determine what kind of world you want, both as you're alive and after you die. And what a big fucking concept for a rock band to deal with. Um, but it's the one that American rock band My Chemical Romance deals with in so many different um, ways. This makes me yeah. think a lot about any writing about apocalypses. So, like, the cyclical nature of the concept of apocalypse and how, like, apocalypse is thought of as, like, this, like, devastating end. Like, a full and complete end. And how like a lot of folks have written about like both theoretically and creatively about apocalypse engaging with it in different ways right of like apocalypse is happening apocalypse has been happening apocalypse happens to different people again and again in different ways and how you can like engage with each one in different ways and be reborn again and die again kind of and i think this is something that american band my chemical romance knows really intimately this concept yeah. of apocalypse, especially, like, coming from a band who, like, watched 9-11, like, 9-11 happens yeah. and there is a new world afterwards, mm -hmm. right? It mm -hmm. is an apocalypse. It is a physical apocalypse. Right. MCR talking about, like, how cyclical this is, is a way of engaging with, like, this, like, idea of, like, many apocalypses, right? It's a way of engaging with, like, a queer framing of apocalypse and life and death and time straight time as something that doesn't have an apocalypse to it yeah like you don't have to grapple in that constant like perpetual motion machine of like family and reproduction when it all goes right right that 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 has no interruptions in it that never breaks realistically like that that breaks down for most people at some time I guess. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe not for most people. Maybe that's just, I only know gay people. Um, or just <laughs> yeah. people who live non-normative lives. But, like, thinking about being prepared for the the, the unpredictable um, or being prepared for things going off the rails is something that this band points us towards. You know? I th Yeah, exactly. I think that's totally true. I think that's why it feels so queer is because queer people are prepared at all times for the world to end in some way. Like, I mean, right. I think all marginalized people are prepared at all times for the world to end because yeah. it has ended for them before mm -hmm. for different communities. And so I think that that's why it feels like so queer to engage with it in this kind of cyclical and constant way. That like, even even if you are living in an unstable situation. Like, I think stability versus apocalypse is kind of an interesting... The, the, I mean, the idea that, like, queer families are unstable or that, that queer relationships aren't as stable as ones that, that reproduce, being able to see that instability is survivable, that instability isn't necessarily a bad thing, and that it is something that you can build new things out of, um, and that it may even be desirable in that way, Right feeding off of the end of the world in a way that it, it can be fuel that's rad well i think that we're done like in lieu of talking about something with the tour i just something that 
something in MCR news that happened, which is it's a recording of uh, a Bullets era show where Gerard is like, it's Frankie's third show. Can everyone please clap for him? <laughs> and then there's like, can everyone applause? I'm going to make this joke and I might cut it out. Can everyone please clap for my lame fucking boyfriend? <laughs> everyone uh, clap for uh, my, I, I wish I had a lame ass boyfriend so I can make everybody clap for him when he comes into the here room. Here he is. My, here's my boyfriend with glue dreads. And if Disgusting. everyone could just give him a round of applause, that would make me feel so good. Could somebody please um, shave my bro's head for me? Thank you. <laughs> I thought that was special and nice. Also, I like the, um, I think there's somebody on YouTube, I need to go through this, who's, like, uploading old Bullets content. Whoever you are, I love you, um, and thank you for preserving this shit, because I, there's not enough of it, but I know it's out there. That was, like, very similar to what I was gonna say, which is that it's almost our sweet lady's 20th anniversary. I don't know, that feels so huge to me, like, just absolutely just thinking about that just thinking about how the first album that they ever put out they put out 20 years ago in uh four days as of right now um crazy absolutely crazy yeah i guess i was gonna i was gonna say is there anything that you wanted to talk about in terms of just like bullets in general i don't know whether there's anything to talk about in terms of bullets or in terms of like a favorite bullets thing a favorite bullets lore, something like that you know what i'm saying absolutely of course there is okay um I want to talk about how fucked up the song structure is on Bullet. <laughs> yeah. It's all over the fucking place. Oh my god. It's all there are songs without choruses. There are songs where like you can kind of just like debate about where the chorus is. Uh Vampires does it have a chorus? I don't think so. Ray Toro's just climbing on a treadmill with a guitar and running until he passes out while playing. <laughs> Ray fucking Toro in this album yeah. just all over the, like the song oh, structure is structured around Toro shredding. Literally, like, that that's it. Is that's the it. fundamental aspect and then like the lyrics and structure of the song that's around it. Something like like Monroeville, no chorus. That's just a little story. Um, this is the best day ever. No chorus. Um, they really were out here writing complete bangers with no traditional organization to them at all. Um, I think that's super bold and incredibly effective. Um, I love the song structure on bullets. Yeah. That's my favorite bullets thing. What's your piece of bullets, um, trivia or, um, interest? I guess like the thing that's the most important to me about bullets is just like all the lore surrounding the production of bullets, right? Mm. The toothache and Gerard getting punched in the face with a toothache and then sing and then singing, like spitting out vampires in two takes and like getting so emotional while recording early sunsets that people had to like leave the room because <laughs> they were uncomfortable mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like um, the sky turning purple after they recorded vampires and just like all of that stuff, all the lore behind mm-hmm. the recording of that album and the way that they've crafted that lore to make it just feel like, oh, it's like, someone wants us to do this, is how it feels yeah. to them, is how it feels to them, and then how it feels also to us, like, looking back on it, being like, holy shit, I can't believe Gerard Way actually is Joan of Arc. Gerard Way actually does yeah. know how Joan of Arc felt. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> because God talked I, to them. <laughs> it's God's mission for this band to to record these songs and to share them with us like uh, this is god's divine plan and i won't be taking any questions about that right gerard way said uh well god told me that um i need to write this song about 9-11 so i'm gonna do that and then they did and tour soon i guess that's it do we have anything else we want to say 
No, I'm just so excited. I like it. Does it still doesn't feel real? Like it's gonna happen though. They're gonna they're gonna play shows in a couple weeks. Yeah, in the country in that we live in. Weeks. Yeah, in the country that we live in. Yeah, these United States. Um, <laughs> they will play these fifty. These fifty one United States fifty. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> you gotta leave that in. <laughs> Whoa, that was great. All right. Whoa. Wow. What do they say about Americans in geography? Um, <laughs> My geography's like pretty good, stereotypes. too. It's like, I don't believe you. Pretty good. <laughs> like, I could place states on a map. Wow, uh-huh, but you can't count them. Can't fucking count them. Some of us are no, f- no. hey. Some of us are fucking dumb. Okay. <laughs> some of us are fucking dumb. I'm sorry for discriminating against you for that. I'm like, oh god. I'm feeling so Steve Harrington coded at this moment. <laughs> thanks for list. Thanks for listening to me. Not know how many states there are. The- to all of our listeners in the 51 states um, <laughs> and internationally, um, we love you. Um, we're so glad, especially if you can, if you're, if you're from that 51st state, let us know. <laughs> if you're from that, shout out to all of our listeners in that 51st state. We see you. We see you. We, we hear see you. you. We're we so glad you're here. You. We're so glad you're here. Where can, where can people find us? You can find us um, at honeythispodcast.tumblr.com. You can find us at honeythispodcast on Instagram, honeythispod on Twitter, uh, no, that's it. You can also follow me on Tumblr at Taste of Chaos 2005. And you can follow me at uh, boy-zone on Tumblr. And we're at Gerard Tweets. Did you say that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're at Gerard Tweets. We're at, we're at, Gerard, we're at Gerard Tweets. We're at Gerard Tweets. Yeah. Hey, thank you for listening. It's so cool that you listen to this podcast. Thanks for listening. Like, that's one of the coolest yeah. things. Thank you for listening. Thank you for engaging with us. It's a ton of fun. And we'll see you next time. Shout out to that 51st state, motherfucker.